So today we are preaching a sermon, and you can put the title screen up for me, How to Live in Humility Better Than Everyone Else. So perhaps you can sense my sense of humor in these things. Living in humility. As I have been studying Deuteronomy along with every, all of you who are going through Mission 119 this week, uh, we've been in the second part of Deuteronomy, I've been just struck by the repetition in the text that there is um, that there that there are many things that are said over and over again about what God is calling us to, which is a very good teaching tool. I think hearing this something over and over again is a good way for us to learn. But it's it's not only repetition in this text, but it's also uh, simple. It's simple. Moses is preparing God's people to enter into the promised land that God had promised long ago. And he's trying to, to, to really remind them of all of their history, what they've been through, what God's brought them through, so that they will accept the gift he's giving them in the, in the promised land uh, in a way that, that brings blessing in their lives. So constantly, uh, Soper highlighted this, uh, and, and it was just very clear. He says to his people, remember who God is. Remember what God has done. Obey what you know he's told you to do. And teach these things to others. Teach these things to your children, to one another. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done. Obey what you know he's told you to do. Teach these things to others. In uh, one of the middle chapters of Deuteronomy, it's, it's talking to the, the, the adults who are entering the promised land. And he said, the, the people that were 20 years, I guess, uh, that were allowed into the promised land. And he said to them, your children did not see the great deliverance that God did when he delivered you from Pharaoh in Egypt with an outstretched hand. And then he goes on to, to recount, once again, God's faithfulness in delivering his people from captivity in Egypt. And the implication is clear. Tell your children, model for your children who God is, what God's done obeying him and teaching these things to others. In, uh, in Deuteronomy 10, 12, listen for all of these, these uh, pieces. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk reverently with the holy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with your, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees I'm giving you today for your own good. Over and over again, Moses says, remember who God is, what he's done, obey what he's told you to do, and teach to others. When I studied Hebrew in seminary, I never became fluent, but I became less affluent because I was paying for, to go to seminary. <laughs> that was... That was that was not very good. But when I was studying Hebrew, I was so struck with the culture of the people that largely wrote, that completely wrote our scriptures. Things were very concrete to them. They, were not, they did not think in abstractions. Uh, even to the point where the characters that the Hebrew language is written in were actually pictures that represented actual things, a snake you know, another kind of animal. Even right down to their written language, everything was very concrete. 
and not abstract. So when, so when they, they're teaching about remembering who God is, and they're using concrete examples, because he did this. It's not just that like God feels nice and warm and fuzzy in our hearts. God did this. It's very concrete. Something he did. This is who he is. Obey what he's told you to do and teach these things to others. Pass these along. This is very, very concrete. And even the idea of teaching is much more concrete. It's not just like a classroom setting, like this is, here's the truth, but it's modeling with your life. This is the embodiment of, uh, of what I believe and trust God for. Uh, so this is, this is uh, an amazing aspect of just uh, Hebrew people and how their language works. Everything is very concrete. It's pointed to something in reality. So even when you're teaching, you are pointing to something very concrete. As I've been reading Deuteronomy, uh, I have gone back to a parable of Christ uh, to help us to uh, hit home this teaching about walking in humility, remembering, obedient, obeying, knowing, and teaching uh, that, we, that we learn in Deuteronomy. And it's, it's an amazing thing because I went back to this passage myself when I read it, and um, I talked about it with uh, a friend of mine, and then John Soper actually pointed back to this parable as well as he was teaching through De- Deuteronomy. So it was an amazing thing to kind of have that reinforced over and over and over again uh, this week. So I'd like to share with you a parable from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Talk about how quickly um, we don't remember who God is, remember what he's done, how quickly we forget. 
Um, right in the same day in this parable, the master forgives this debt. And that same day, he forgets what the master did for him. And he did not obey the law of love in releasing this man who owed a very minuscule debt um, from his wrath. So what's the baseline reality of our existence as people based on this passage? What's, what are the things you see in this passage that really stick out to you about us? Forgiveness is vital, right? The example of the, of the, the king and the servant? Have compassion. Just as who has compassion? The Father. How quickly we forget. We have an extremely short attention span when it comes to the mercy of God that he's shown us in our lives. Extremely short memory. And we forget the mercy of God in our lives very quickly. That's what this passage teaches us about ourselves. We forget where we came from, and we forget how God rescued us and gave us a great salvation. This morning, I want to just ask you to call to to your mind, not to call out, but call to your mind. Let's just take a moment. What has God rescued you from so far in your life? Beyond just him forgiving your sins, which is amazing, what has God rescued you from? from the time you were born till this day. We have to remember these things. We have to bring them to mind. We have to let them sink in. God has shown great mercy to us. We tend to forget it very quickly. And when we forget it, the result of forgetting God's great mercy towards us is an inward attitude of pride that begins to develop. And it gets worse sometimes inside religious contexts where people are looking for ways to earn or to prove themselves and work out their own personal issues. But the result of forgetting God's great mercy towards us is an inward attitude of pride. We forget. um, And we subtly, and not so subtly, begin to think of ourselves more highly than we should. It happens so easily to each of us. And the symptom of this inward pride that begins to develop is in the relationships we have with others. And those, that, those symptoms show up every time pride begins to rear its head up in our heart. So when God calls his people to remember who he is, what he's done, and to obey him and to teach these things, he's saying you need to remember Because if you don't, you'll begin to have the subtle attitude of pride and it will begin destroying the relationships you have with others. Romans 12.3 has this to say. For by the grace given me, Paul says, to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You He's saying when you lose touch with how much mercy that you've been given and continue to receive from God, you begin to start thinking more highly of yourself than you should instead of looking at yourself with that sober judgment. And um, this subtle pride just begins welling up in our hearts. 
So powerful is that pride. It can cause us to turn around after God's given us mercy and withhold mercy from other people that need it. And in so doing, to disobey God's call to love everybody. But this, this symptom of this inward pride shows up in our relationships with others every time. The servant who beats his fellow servant over a relatively small debt. That's in, the, in this story. It shows up with our, with our family members. With our friends. With our ministry partners and our church family. With those we consider strangers and outsiders. People that we think are just different from us. And our attitude towards people that society believes deserve what they've gotten. And are just reaping their consequences. Um, people that are sick, people that are poor, homeless. We, this subtle pride causes us to say they brought this on themselves and we develop this disdain in our hearts towards other people because we have a belief, a non-sober judgmental belief that we, ha- we are somehow superior to other people. So we have to be careful. As we have received this mercy from Jesus, we are supposed to dispense this mercy. We're supposed to know who God is, what he's done in our lives, and then we are to teach others with our lives by the way we interact in the world. So we have to monitor the things we say about others in our hearts and with our lips, in the privacy of our household, when we're talking to our spouse or a close family member and we're very comfortable and we're in our own skin. We have to be very careful that this does not well up in our lives. I mean, think about how exasperated this, this, when they heard this teaching from Jesus. You know, how many times should I forgive my brother? And uh, Jesus says, no, no, that, that's a generous number you have, but I'm going to say 70 times 7. This is a daily battle that we face. And we, when, we're, when we're perfected in God's presence in heaven, we will know God perfectly. We will remember what he's done for us perfectly. But until then, on this earth, we, we, for, we quickly forget. Pride creeps in, and we begin beating our fellow servants with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions. God rescues us and cancels our debt that we couldn't repay him over many lifetimes of saving. If you've ever been in debt, if you're currently in debt, if you've ever been in big debt, you know that you think about that when you go to sleep, when you wake up, whenever you see the people that you owe the money to. Like, we're going to, we're going to the family reunion today, we're going to see those people that we haven't paid yet. It's crushing. Debt keeps you from doing the things you'd rather be doing with your life. It's, it's global and you cannot escape it. And I believe that every day we are supposed to feel the weight of the rescue and mercy that God's given to us for our sins in the same way that we feel that crushing debt, that we are supposed to feel this debt of love in our hearts. Romans 13, Romans 13 through 15 is a great study to do um, in this regard, but it says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You know, what if every time we saw another person made in God's image, uh, we automatically felt this debt of love because of the mercy and grace God's given us? We were so in touch, and we remembered what God had done for us to such an extent that every time we saw another person, 
It would just elicit from us this debt of love and gratefulness, spreading the mercy that the Master has shown us to other people. As we, as we walk, of course, you know, pride does creep in. And just like the Bible and the Hebrew people thought in such concrete terms, there's also concrete ways to deal with pride in the Bible. They are not as simple as like looking in the mirror and saying, don't be proud, don't be proud, don't be proud today. Hey, you, don't be proud. Like not self-help, but like actual physical things you can do with your body and with your life to deal with pride. And that's really good news. So whenever we're realizing in our relationships with other people, in our thoughts, in our words, that we're beginning to be like that unmerciful servant, we're seeing that manifestation of pride in our lives and the way we think and talk about other people, forgetting the height from which we've fallen, um, there's this great advice um, from God. Revelation 2.5, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So remember the height from which you've fallen and listen to this amazing uh, teaching, this concrete teaching from Jesus in Luke 14. So this is a a lesson from Jesus on how to humble ourselves. Starting in verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." This is Jesus' lesson on how to humble yourself so that God doesn't have to humble you, right? It says in the scriptures in three places, Old and New Testament, God, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. We have to do something different. So what does Jesus say to do in order to guard against this pride that causes us to forget who God is, who we are, to not obey the law of love? and thus to not teach others with our life. Well, first he says, take the lower place whenever possible. Pick up your physical body. This is not a spiritual exercise like, in, like prayer and, and meditation. This is, picking up your, this is a spiritual exercise of picking up your physical body and putting it in the humble place whenever possible. Not just at a banquet, in social situations, um, the, the, list, the list could be endless. But even if you feel like you, in a certain sense, deserve a certain place, teach yourself that you actually do not by putting your body and your stuff into humble situations. This is the appropriate response of the forgiven servant. 
to walk in, in that reality of what God has done in his mercy and his grace, to teach it to others. We must teach ourselves through putting ourselves in the lower place. I have a friend who's very distinguished, who, um, you know, just a distinguished person, more distinguished than, than me, which is easy to, easy to uh, picture, but just a very respectable, amazing man of God. And he revealed to me some of his spiritual disciplines, uh, one of which is he keeps janitorial supplies in the trunk of his car. And when he sees pride beginning to grow in his heart, even subtly, when he's traveling to do different speaking engagements and things, he will get out of his car at a rest stop and he'll clean the bathrooms at the rest stop just because he wants to deal with it. He's not saying, oh, don't be proud today. Jesus, help me not to be proud. He's actually putting his body and his resources into this practice. It's an amazing, it's an extreme and amazing thing. But um, how simple to teach our children about who God is so they can know who he is, what he's done, than by ourselves modeling this for our kids. Saying, saying to them, you know, in school situations, who are the kids that no one's talking to? They're on their own. You can, you can offer a lifeline to that kid, um, just like we have as your parents, because we're modeling with our lives, right? So, number one, take the lower place whenever possible. And um, the only thing that can happen is that God can exalt you and you can get to a better place. But in every situation, um, seek that place. And when you are considering who to invite to your party, that's in quotes, do not automatically choose the ones who yourself or others consider to be worthy of your invitation. Intentionally choose people who are unlike you to be your guests. The Bible call has this whole category that, that Jesus talks about in, in this parable. The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Pretty sure that's not like politically correct language. It's different words for all of that. But what, but what these words mean together is these are the people that society considers to be sinners. Because in the Bible times, and Jesus came up against this over and over again, it was believed in popular culture that if you had a disability, if you were differently abled, if you um, were blind or poor or whatever that was, it was your own fault. It was your own fault, and you deserve it. And we are going to shun you because you're garbage. That's what Jesus' society uh, believed. Tax collectors, sinners, you know, it wasn't just that these people had bad behaviors in their life. It was that society considered them to be cursed, damned, and Jesus was accused of being a friend of all these people um, because Jesus believed that when he hung out with people who were in this category, that he didn't get polluted by them, but they became clean from touching him. It's amazing. So unclean people. Who in our world, you know, is just looked down on and is put into this category of untouchable and who... Um, who've brought this on themselves and don't deserve a second look from us. Who are those people in our world? You know, 
It's a real good question to ask because when you find those people and you invite them to your party, you know, you're on the same page as Jesus Christ who did his ministry in this way. And we do it because of the truth that all of us have received great, great amounts of mercy from Jesus. And so we all are on equal footing with those who society considers to be unworthy in some way, unworthy of our time, our attention. Um, take the lower place whenever possible. When you're in, in, in considering who to invite to your party, you know, consider who you choose for that party. Are you choosing people that are going to give you a, uh, a bump socially or going to pay you back in some way or build into your own esteem? Are you doing what Jesus did when he washed his disciples' feet, taking off his outer garment, the Son of God, getting on his hands and knees and washing the feet of the people that were following him, the disciples? Jesus said, now that I, your teacher, have done this, you, you go and do likewise, you know? If we don't humble ourselves, if we allow forgetting the mercy of God, forgetting who God is and what he's done, if we allow ourselves to get so entrenched in that mindset that we stop obeying the law of love, to love God and love others, you know, pride begins to well up in our heart. And the principle of Scripture that seems to be inviolable is if you do not humble yourself, God will humble you, right? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the entire law. Romans 13.8. So as I have studied Deuteronomy, it might seem like a, a wild path to get here. I've just seen, once again, how simple it is for us who live in this time when Christ, when Christ has come and fulfilled the law for us. No. Following God is as simple as remembering who God is, remembering what he's done for you, obey the things you know he's told you to do, Love God, love others. And to teach these things to others, not in abstractions, not in lectures, like in a school setting, but with your life. That whenever pride comes into our heart, we forget God, we forget what he's done. And we see those symptoms in our relationships. We go back and take our physical bodies and our physical possessions and we humble ourselves, just like Jesus, taking on the nature of a servant, not of a great teacher, we humble ourselves, take the lower place, and invite the people to our party that Jesus would be hanging out with if he were here. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to just worship him in song together. And I'm so thankful for the worship team and the time of worship this morning was such a blessing. And as I said before, um, for the person that's open to Jesus and the way of Jesus, um, Jesus will serve a person like that, believe it or not. And Jesus wants to serve you this morning. Jesus wants to remind you that he, he left his place in heaven to come down to earth and humble himself and put on the appearance of a man, die on a cross, cursed by the world, 
to become a curse for us so that we could come to the Father. And he wants to wash us. He wants to wash us in, in, in every way, fill us with his spirit, and equip us to be these servant leaders who humbly serve the people around us who Jesus himself would be with if he were here. Let's go before him today. Let's remember the great mercy that God has shown us.